thing I felt like the Lord was speaking this, uh, this week to me and stirring me a little bit in this direction. And Dad's brought up our title a few times this morning. We're going to look at uh, today, Lukewarm and Satisfied. Is that, is that, is that, should that be our goal in life, to be lukewarm and satisfied? Amen. I, even in your food, you probably don't like that. You probably want it cold or you want it hot. Lukewarm is not the normal goal for food, and so most of the time anyway. And so we're going to look at that in Revelation chapter 3. And Dad, if you need to make any adjustments to this uh, sound, you just let just go right ahead. But this morning we're going to look at Revelation chapter 3. If you want to uh, stand for the reading of the Word, I'm going to go ahead and read it. We'll put it up on the screen so that you can see it this morning. We're going to look at verses 14 through 20 down with my father in his throne he that hath an ear let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches lukewarm and satisfied lukewarm and satisfied let's pray heavenly father we come today lord we expect you to speak lord we want you to speak this is you speaking and God, I pray that God, you would reveal to today, Lord, that this message is not just to a church in scriptural times, but God, you're speaking to the very hour that we live in. And that God, you're giving us counsel, you're giving us wisdom, you're giving us your word to stir us up, almighty God, that as time goes on, that we will be looking even more intently at your coming because, Lord, it's almost here. And God, I pray that you would stir us and you would encourage us. And most of all, that we would desire to be, Lord, set on fire by the power of your spirit. And God, we would be more desirous to be closer to you. You speak and move in the altar today. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. This, this word, this, this word of revelation was given to John on the Isle of Patmos and he's, he's in the Lord's day and he's in the spirit and all of a sudden the Lord comes to him. He knew the Lord because he was one of his disciples. He knew who he was. One of the th three large cities on the Broad Valley area of the, on the border of Phrygia and it was a major trade city. It was very successful. It had a lot of money, a lot of things going for it. It had an entrance on the eastern or the western side and I think, Dad, maybe this is these platform monitors. You could turn down for me. And the, uh, the, the gate on the western side is the, the Ephesian gate. And it had a major thoroughfare that went through it. And as it came out on the east, or coming on the west, then out, exited on the east, that was the Syrian gate, which led to Antioch and Damascus and to the Euphrates Valley, which was an opening for trade from all over the eastern world at that time. This was a city who was very successful. And it was very satisfied where it was. And so it was very important. Its trade was miles away. And it was through aqueducts buried in the ground that came to the city, which made it very vulnerable to the water supply if the enemy could get down to that water supply and dig down and knew where it was, they could cut off water. And you know how important that is. There was a Jewish population. I'm about done with a little over. You just need to know who he's talking to. You're going to see that it's very familiar with the land that we live today. There's a lot of coincidence. There's a lot of similarities in America. We see that there was a large Jewish population there, but instead of them focusing on the, the, the things of God, they became indoctrinated with the culture of the Greeks. And slowly but surely, they melted right into this landscape to where there was really not much difference. They became indoctrinated with the gods that the Greeks were serving. 
And the, 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 instead of being on fire and a witness for God, this, group, this, this history shows they were just lukewarm. They just become indoctrinated. So we see who the message was. Verse 14 tells us who the messenger was. And it says, and to and was spoken to existence, I am, he said. And when time ceases to exist, I am. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. So we realize this message is so important. And so he's speaking it to a church who had become lukewarm. And he wants us to see what he's saying to them today. We need to reap the benefit of what he was saying to them that day. First, we're going to look at this message. And we're going to look at five different sections of the message. First, we're going to look at Christ caution. He gives them a caution. There's, hey, has the Lord ever spoke to your spirit and he, and he condemned? He might have said, hey, you better watch something you're doing. You ever felt the spirit prod you and say, that isn't right what you're doing. You need to stop that. There's, there's been many times he did that. The question is, what do we do with it? What do we do with the caution? Verse 15 says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert were, were cold or hot. What is he saying? I know thy works. He's saying, I know you. I know every thought. I know every plan. I know you before you even took your first breath. You to be hot. He wants you to be hot or cold because it's those times when we're cold. I can remember as a lost sinner, I remember running from God. I remember being uh, moved away from home and living in another town and doing my own thing. And I was a backslidden sinner. But I can tell you, I thought I was having a good time. But over and over and over again, the Lord just condemned me to where I was fearful. Why? Because I knew I was cold. I knew I was indifferent to the things of God. And I knew what was going to happen if the Lord come back during the night. Or during that day, I knew where I was. God can use it when you're cold. He can draw you because you know where you're at. Don't let yourself get in that satisfaction of being uh, lukewarm. Lukewarm is a dangerous place to live. It's a danger. Let me tell you something. I feel like, this is why it's such a concern. This is why it's stirring my heart this week. I feel like that in this time that we're living, the enemy is using what we're going through. That's real. There's a real pandemic going on. There's a real issue going on. And I don't know the degree of how real or how big it's being used for every political thing in the world. So you don't know. We'll know about December, first week of December. We'll know how real it is. But right now, it is real and people are really sick. And it is something to be concerned about. But let me tell you something. The enemy is using this as a tool to weaken the church. He's using it as an excuse for people sometimes to, even if, you're, even if you have good reason, it is easy to sit there and to kind of just start cooling down. Let me give you an example. I used to sit in a sound booth at First Pentecostal sometimes, maybe on Wednesday nights when I wouldn't lead in worship. I would be up running the sound, and I love doing that stuff. I, if I did what I really preferred, I love that kind of stuff. That's exciting. I love electronics. So I would just, oh, I want to make it a big deal. So I'd get up there, but the difference was, I'm telling you, it was palpable, the difference in in my life at the end of the service when I was up in a balcony separated from that's why Jacob's got to watch you got to hear me Jacob you you can you get in that sound booth you're separated from everybody else the word of God can go forth and when you're sitting here where you are right now you can feel it and you get plugged in and, and the presence of God's able to move and when the altar's open you can come and respond but when you get away from that you can get to a place where it's just like watching television it's just another show that I'm watching. I can put it off. I can just turn it off. I can go get popcorn. I can do whatever I want to do. And the things of God can be missed so easily in that environment. And so the Lord has got to stir us. We've got to keep ourselves intentionally stirred up right now more than ever before because the enemy will cause people to get cool 
on the things of God. They're still watching. They're still trying. They're still reading their Bible. But we've got to stay purposefully stirred up in this hour that we're living in. So it's, we see the caution that Christ gives. You know what else he gives us? He gets Christ consequences. He tells us the consequence. Is your parents ever did that? Now, listen, if you break these rules, let me tell you what's going to happen. Well, here's what's going to happen to you. Now, the worst mistake that could ever happen is that they tell you what the circumstances is, and you cross that line, and, and there, those consequences don't happen. I, one of my friends was telling me about his nephew, and, and his nephew just tries his parents something awful. I won't tell you who my friend is, and I won't tell you who the nephew is. But he was talking about this. I mean, this little dude, he, is, he, is, he will try you. He really will. But I, he said that he would watch him, and they would be at, the, they would be at the, his place of employment in, in this Young boy would be there too. It was a family business, and, and so Jordan's figured it out. So we're sitting there, and uh, he said he's watching this nephew, and he is getting into stuff that he shouldn't be getting into. And his mother is there, and she says, If you do it again, I'm going to wear you out. If you touch that doorknob one more time, I'm going to wear you out. So he's standing there, and he's got this point of decision. He sees he's at a crossroads, and he's sitting there thinking about consequences and whether to do what I want to do. And he just gets a smirk on his face and he goes, Beep! puts his finger right on the door. If you touch it again, you're going to go wore out. He was, I don't care, touches it. Sometimes we are that way with the things. God warns us what it's going to cost us. And yet we just say we're going to do it anyway. But the Lord gives, thank God he gives consequences. He lets us know it's not going to be a surprise. It says in verse 16 that so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee, that word means vomit. I will vomit you out of my mouth. If, if you keep doing these things, these things that you're doing is a form of pride. There's nothing. What caused Satan to be thrown out of heaven? Pride. What happens? Most, if you look at most of the sins in your own life, it is because of pride. Selfishness. Selfishness is a form of pride. Is when we think what we want and what we do is more important than the consequences and we're going to do it at all costs. And so the Lord knows that the, He can't do anything in people's lives when they're proud. When we humble ourselves before Him, what does He say? I'll lift you up. If you come before me and you're proud and you come before I'll push you down. Why? Because I can't do a thing in your life when you're like that. So we see that He, there's consequences when we come before God. And so He says that He will spew us out. Now, there is a significance. If you lived in Laodicea, you would have understood these verses very well. Because I told you, there's three towns there. There's three towns, and this is probably the largest one. But the other two towns that was around Laodicea had an advantage when it come to water. There was a town that was six miles north was Heropolis. And Heropolis sounds like something like a metropolis. Sounds like a pretty big city, doesn't it? But the thing that was famous about Heropolis was it had a natural hot springs. And in fact, current day Turkey is tapping those hot springs to use with, germ, uh, with thermal energy. There was, there's a high concentration in these hot springs of magnesium and some other elements that have natural medicinal purposes and people could be healed just by being in these hot springs. And so they had that natural source that flowed right into the city. And so it was such a blessing if you lived in that area that you were be able to tap into those hot springs. And so, boy, can you imagine if in your house you were able to tap into those hot springs and your tub was filled up with this warm, soothing, healing water. What a blessing that was. Oh, yeah. Not Laodicea. The, another town uh, 10 miles to the east was Colossae. 
And Colossae wasn't, it wasn't a hot springs they had. They had something pretty good too. They had nearby mountains that their water supply came out of. And it came right into the city. And they had cool, clean, refreshing, cold water all the time. And so it's what an attraction. Hey, it would almost be like on the billboards outside the city. Live in Colossae and cool, cold, cold water right into your house. Live in uh, Heropolis and you got the hot springs that will make you live forever. And so these wonderful towns. But they didn't have it here. This was a crossroads between these cities. And it was a wonderful place and had a lot of blessings. But its water supply was very, very compromised. It actually tried to pop its water all the way from thinking it was going to tap into those supplies. Hierapolis, they ran six miles of underground aqueduct to that city thinking they were going to get those hot springs all the way down into Laodicea. But they didn't expect what was going to happen because it had to come through clay pipe for six miles. All of a sudden, as it traveled across that distance, it lost its temperature. It become cool and lukewarm, not cold just lukewarm. And not only that, the pipe that they popped it through would let the, the ground uh, water and let other elements in the ground, the limestone and so forth in the deposits in the ground would leach into the water. And by the time it got to the city, it was full of a calcium carbonate that was a natural uh, substance that when it mixed with that warm water, many people reported when they drank it, it would make them sick and you know, throw up. It wasn't pleasing to drink. They hated their water. Yes, it was a wonderful thing to have water, but they hated the taste of it. They hated the, the, the taste and the warmth of it. It just was not appealing to them. And so, in fact, in recent archaeological digs, they have shown that it was so filled with this car, cal, or calcium buildup inside it, it's almost shut up. It's kind of like our pipes in some of our old houses that there's not even much room to even get water through because it was so filled with that sediment. The Lord is giving an illustration that they would have understood and we can understand today. He's saying that I want you to be hot. I, if you're hot, there's, some, there's things I can do. There's healing that I can use you for. There's things that I can do in your life. If you're cold, I can draw you. I can move in your life. But when you come to me and you tell me that you're satisfied the way you are, when you come to me and you're lukewarm, you, all you've done is you've taken in and you became room temperature. You're not able to help anybody because you're just like everybody else. You've let the culture that you live in seep into your life to where you're no different than anybody else and God says that is not what I accept I reject that I can't work in your life and so he's resisting those I remember uh, one time I've done this more than one you all probably done this too I was thinking as I was doing working on this message I was thinking about on a on a, a certain day at work that I'd had I drink unsweet iced tea and when you look at a container, you can't tell fresh or not fresh. And so the day before, I had gotten a, a, a wonderfully cold, uh, I drink unsweet. Some of you will say, whoa, that's already a problem in itself, but I like it that way. So it was unsweet, and I got it at lunch, and it was really good, and I drank it, but I left part of it and forgot it on my desk. So I come in the next day, and I'm going about my day, and I see that, and I'd gotten another one that day, and, but I'd forgotten, left it somewhere else, maybe on another table in my office. And somehow I got those mixed up and so I'm going about my day and so if you tea is something that can grow bacteria by the way if it sets out to it so I'm sitting there and I'm expecting this just wonderful taste and tea is something that gets really bitter real quick anyway so I'm sitting there going through my day and I see there's my tea and I get the tea and I'm going on and I take a big drink and all of a sudden it didn't take but about a half a second for my tongue to tell my brain and register to my body this is not my fresh tea 
What's in my mouth right now is something that is not my fresh tea. This, oh no, this is yesterday's tea. Well, I was not going to swallow that. And so I'm trying to get to the bathroom or the sink quick enough so that I can spit it out. Why? It was a natural impulse to spit it out. You don't want to swallow it. Why? It's repulsive. It's been, it's been filled with all the things that has grown and all the things that is repulsive. It's not that refreshment that you were looking for. And so we need to realize that the Lord is saying that the one the way He wants us is to be hot toward Him. He wants to draw those that are cold. He wants to bless those that are hot. But don't go on lukewarm. Third, Christ causes. He tells us why this is going. How is this happening? How have we become lukewarm? It says because in verse 17, because thou sayest, I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing. I'm self-satisfied. I, I don't need anything else. We're good. And know us not the way I look at you. And here's the way he sings them. Don't you, don't you know that you're wretched? Don't you know? I've got drink I had. Don't you know that you're miserable? You're pitiful. And, and you're poor. And you're blind in your neck. And you think you're rich. You think you're blessed. You think, you know why? You're looking at everything through physical eyes. God does not look at us the same way we look at each other. I may look at you and think, well, you got it going. you got it all together. You may do the same thing with me. Oh, I wish I was like that person. They've got a smile on their face. It seems like they drive a nice car. Everything seems to be going good. But inside, you could be a total different person in the spiritual man. And that's the way the Lord is saying. He says, I see you. You think you're rich because of your banking, because of the great wealth. This city was so wealthy that in, at 60 uh, uh, A.D., there was a great earthquake that shook this whole region and destroyed this city. It was just devastating. Well, the Roman emperor at that time seen the devastation and he offered to pay to have this city rebuilt because it was so vital, it was so important. These people this city had so much pride and they had so much wealth, they refused his money and they said, we don't need it. We rebuild it ourselves and they did. They were able to, to rebuild the city with their own funds because... They had such power. They had such ability. Sometimes it's good to stand on your own. Sometimes it's good to do that. I remember when I first got my job when I was 15, not quite 16. I was working quite a bit of money. I mean, hours and getting some money. I was so excited to get my first check right at $100. Man, I'm telling you, I thought I'll not spend that in a lifetime. And I was so excited. I wanted to go get my own clothes. I wanted to get my own haircut. Uh, even though Dad was giving them for free, I wanted to go get my own haircut. I wanted to buy my own food Or when I went out. I wanted to cover my own expenses mom was my banker and, and I was standing on my I was so excited standing on my own but let me tell you something it's good to be able to stand on your own and means there needs to be a lot of people to do that but let me tell you something spiritually it's never a good idea we got to realize that we can't do anything without him so they thought they were rich they were increased with goods this 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 Wool was such an industry for them. They thought we'll never have any. It's kind of like that man with the barns that he's going to turn. Oh, we'll never have, to have any problems for money. And they were proud of that. And they were looking at their financial and their, their abilities and their, their resources and how they were increased with goods. And they said, we're good. I'm satisfied where I am. But God was saying to them, you need to see through my eyes. You need to see through my eyes because that's not the way 
I see you. Now, I've told you this before. I'm going to tell it again. And it might have been a few years since Jordan heard this because he was part of this illustration as, as a kid. And he used to love me giving it. I can see the look on his face. He still loves me giving illustrations with him in them. But, uh, but when Jordan was about a year and a half old, he used to, he'd get in the bed. I'd come in from work and he'd get in the bed on the water bed. I, how, many, how many remembers water beds? <laughs> love water beds. It's so I'd get in there all was just like I was, you know, rocking. And Jordan get on her playing, driving his cars, all that stuff. And so he would, he would drive cars on me. Oh, I just, it was great. It was wonderful. It was therapy, okay? It was as good as those hot springs. So he would drive, and, and so then I would go to sleep, and I never didn't know when he quit, and Marie get in the bed later and so forth and put him to bed. So I didn't realize one night that I didn't know what Jordan had done, but somewhere he found a red permanent marker, big one. And so, and, and so I went to bed. I mean, the next morning, I went to work like at 1.30 in the morning. Some mornings, real early. And I got in this habit. I didn't shave, but every so many days. And, and I, I could take a shower, put my, I mean, 10 minutes up, take a shower, clothes on, out the door. So I got up that morning, never looking, just brush my teeth, never pay attention, put, because I'm wearing a cap, out the door. I worked for Hostess then. And so I, I got up that morning. Little did I know that he'd done a bunch of artwork on this side of my face. He had drew all kinds of stuff on this side, and it was wasn't pretty. So it looked like I'd been in a car wreck. So I remember that morning I went to the first my several stops and I remember going in and I'd, hey, how you doing? I just keep flying, trying to get my route done. And people, hey, and all of a sudden I'd see them do a little double take, like looking at me. I thought, what are you doing? And after it happened about the third time, I thought, what are they looking at? Is there something in my hair or something I'm, I'm looking at? I can't see it. So I go in the bathroom and I discover that there is permanent red marker all over the side of my face. Why didn't I know that? I didn't take time to look. <laughs> I didn't take time to look. So I'm in there trying to scrub. The funny part was I was trying to scrub it off in the bathroom. Now my face is all red because I'm scrubbing like crazy, and it won't come off. So I have to go the rest of the day. <laughs> you know, I don't know how I got through it. But listen, we sometimes don't know what we truly look like because we, didn't, we don't look. We don't have the same eyes. We're not looking through spiritual eyes. We're looking through physical eyes. And the Lord is telling us that we are, are, are miserable and wretched and poor and blind and naked. You think you've got it all together. You've got a good bank account in your house and everything else is looking great. And you've got the big 401k and everything's looking like it's going down the road. Your family seems to be healthy. But you are not looking through the eyes that I'm looking through. You're miserable. You're heading for destruction. Spiritually, you're bankrupt. And you don't even know it. And so he's giving them, he's telling them what the causes were. And then thank God, number four, he also gives us Christ's counsel. He counsels us what to do about it. He doesn't leave us where we are. He should. Not a one of us deserves him to forgive us and to reach down with mercy. But thank God when he reveals what's wrong and he shows us why it's wrong, he gives us his mercy he gives us counsel to how to get past that, how to lay that down, how to get victory in our life. Verse 18 says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eyesab that thou mayest see. This word counsel here is not, sometimes we may think this is a command. I command you. No, that's not the way the Lord works. When you got saved, did the Lord command you to get up here? No, no, no. He advises. He woos you. He draws you. And that's what he's saying here. This is a word of affection saying, I'm advising you. I'm pleading with you. Don't keep going the way you are. But trade the riches of this world for eternal riches. Let me tell you something. There will not be one person that takes one step into eternity 
that they will ever worry about one thing that's behind them because it will not come with them. In fact, they will worry about the things they left behind because that's all they got to show for life. The only thing that will make it is the things that we lay up that are eternal, eternal riches. Uh, uh, the things that we lay up in the heaven is the only things that will actually prosper. And he's saying to you, you cannot do it, but buy of me gold refi uh, refined in the fire. This, not, this is not just talking about gold. I mean, if you all pull off your ring or something, I guess they still do this. Inside your gold ring, if you have a, a wedding ring, it's probably got a stamp like mine does inside it will tell you the quality of the gold it may say 12 carat it may say 14 carat but if it's the refined gold the purest gold it says 24 carat and that's the more expensive you can get gold that's cheaper but when you get what's the difference in the quality why is some gold more expensive than others it's because it's been refined until all the impurities are out in fact this is talking about these smelters of this time and the Lord being the smelter that takes the, the, our life and we get in his presence and, he, and gold was put in a, a big vat and it was heated up and heated up and heated up and so all of the things starts to melt at a very high degree of temperature and finally all the impurities all the things that were uh, uh, that were not gold comes floating to the top in that intense heat and the, and the smelter is able to take and scoop off all those elements that was not pure gold and it keeps happening and it keeps happening it keeps heating the longer it stays in the fire the purer it becomes, the more impurities comes to the top. Isn't that the way it is in our spiritual life? The more you're in the presence of God, the more you seek the things of God, the more God is able to refine your soul, refine your spirit. He wants you in His presence. He doesn't want you just to give Him a casual glance. He wants you to be inside His presence every day so that He can bless you and He can move. And not only that, so He can deal with the things that's displeasing and unable to be used. And as he does, he's able to scoop. And the ultimate go, of course, as we've heard, is that when that smelter is able to look in that gold and what he sees is his own reflection. That's what God wants to do in your life and my life. He wants to see his reflection when other people looks in our lives. His reflection, not ours. That's those impurities that come to the top. He wants his reflection be what comes to the top. And so he says, that's the true riches. That's what, it's not things here. These things is temporal. But what I'm trying to give you is eternal. And I want to change you from the inside out. He advises us to buy white raiment. They're used to being clever with this, this wonderful, soft, black for, uh, wool. And it was, uh, everybody wanted this. But he's saying your heart's just as black as the clothes that you're wearing. You're looking at yourself and you don't see what I see. Uh, the other day, I, I illustrated this to myself and ended up having to throw away uh, one of my t-shirts. I had washed. I don't know how I did this. It must have got in with a load of jeans or something. I don't know. But I washed my whites, and all of a sudden, one of the T-shirts, as soon as I seen the pile that I was folding, I looked and I said, something's wrong with that T-shirt. It's blue. It looks blue to me. And I pulled it out. And when I pulled it out by itself, it looked like it was okay. But when I put it next to a new T-shirt I had, I seen really quickly, this one was, this was Smurf. This one was a blue tinge. And what was the difference? When you compare it with something that's pure white, you can easily see that something has now been altered. It was so blue that I took it and threw it away. I couldn't use it anymore. Why? Because it had been impacted by other things in my wash. And so he says, don't keep going in the garments that you're wearing. I'm looking at you. You need to have, what's these white garments? His righteousness. 
His purity. He wants to give you a clean heart. He wants to give you robes of righteousness. And so it says in Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for He hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. This is these white garments that He is talking about giving them. And so there was this contrast to the life that we're living and the way that they thought they were and what he sees. He also, finally, in this point, we only got one more to go, this point right here, that he advises them to buy ISAB. Now, what is, they were very familiar with uh, ISAB and eye ointment in Laodicea. They actually had a medical school there that was, uh, that was famous for this eye ointment that they were able to concoct. In fact, some people speculate that it was the mud of those uh, uh, in Hierapolis. They would, they would reap that mud around those hot springs that was so heavy in some of the natural elements, including magnesium, that they would take that dried mud and they would grind it up into a powder and they would sell it all over the Eastern world at that time. And it was known and famous for the fact that it would take away uh, inflammation of the eye. And they were making a mint on mud. But it was real. It really had some impact. And what the Lord is saying to them, you know how to take care of the physical eye problems. You know how to help the world in that. But spiritually, you don't even realize you're blind. You need to buy of me an eye salve that will give you a spiritual eyes. Those eyes that breaks our heart when our life is in contrast to what God wants to do. Those times when we say that thing we shouldn't say, God smites our heart. That, that, that thought that comes into our mind, that activity we do that's covet, that covets something, or we do something that's really not good for someone else, and we put ourselves first, and God condemns us because He gives us new eyes, and our heart grieves when we see that we displease Him. Psalms 139 tells us about God changing us and seeing us through his eyes, David says, Search me, O God, in verse 23, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He's saying, God, you see what I don't see. You have eyes to see. And that's the way sometimes we need to pray. God, show me the way you see me. I guarantee you one thing. I don't care who you are. It'll break your heart if he answers that prayer. It'll break your heart. Finally, we see that God has the Lord's message to the church of that time and ours is he gives them Christ's caution. He gives them Christ's consequences. He gives them Christ's causes. He gives them Christ's counsel. And finally, there's Christ's call. He calls to them. He calls to them that they would change. Thank God we don't sit in a service and there's not an opportunity for there to be change. I remember a story of one of the great preachers, and I guess it was Chicago. It might have been Moody that was preaching in Chicago, and he was holding off, and it was kind of common at that time to wait for a certain night and preach night after night, get people stirred up for people to come and give their heart to the Lord. They wanted there to be such a desire, people ready to just jump right in there. And, and, and this time that he, maybe it was a Thursday night, and the next night he was going to uh, open the altars, and he knew that it was going to be a bunch. He could tell people who wanted to come, and he didn't give the altar call that night, and that night the city burned down. 
The Chicago great Chicago fire happened and it wiped it out. And there was not that opportunity for people to come and pray. And he was grieved because of that. Thank God that the Lord gives us a call and says, I'm not going to leave you where you are. I've showed you. You feel guilty. You know what's going on. And now I'm going to give you a chance for you to do something about it. Thank God that he gives us the call. And we see in verse 20, a very familiar verse. But most of the time it's used in a context different than it was really written. We see that it was written in these verses and it says in verse 20, Behold, I, the Lord himself, stand at the door of what? Your heart. And knock. If any man, or the church, I stand in this context, no doubt it's probably the church. We, we see, I, I'll go and get into that in just a minute. But he, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hear my voice and open the door, what happens? I will come into him and will sup. I'll fellowship with him. I'll be together with him and he with me. There's going to be this union. There's going to be this relationship that's not happening because why? He's behind the door shut. That door represents blocking the presence of God from coming into our life. We see that famous painting that was painted between 1851-1853. And then I was trying to figure out what it was called and looked it up yesterday. The Light of the World painting is what it's called. Very, very fitting. And this painting, if you look at it, if you haven't looked at it before, it shows the Lord standing at a door and He's about to knock. We know what He's doing. But there's no doorknob on the outside. He, there is no opportunity for him to walk in from the outside. And that's the way the Lord is. He doesn't force you to do anything. He wants you to love him because you want to love him. It'd be like if you found out your spouse had to love you, there was some kind of spell on them or something, and they had no opportunity, they had to love you, how much would it mean to you? And they said, I love you. You think, well, you have to love me. You ain't got no choice. But when someone has a choice and they say, I love you, I want to be with you. And it's because their heart means that. It has special meaning. And so we see in this picture, the Lord wants you to open the door. Why? You want Him to come in. You want Him to fellowship. This is not necessarily, and yes, it can be applied to salvation, but this is a knock on the heart of the church today. He's knocking on the Laodicean church in America today. And he's saying, I want to restore. I want a relationship that is fervent. I want to have a relationship with you. But the key is, it's up to you. Will you open that door? Will you open that door? The majority of the country that we live in today says, I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied. I'm okay. Come back another day everything's going just fine did you see how nice my house was and the lord says but i see through different eyes than you do i see what your needs are and i'm here to meet them i'm here to give you the joy the love the relationship that you truly long for that these things can never accomplish in all these things that you have it's going to be left behind. We see that he's trying to counsel us through the call to surrender to him. The question today is the same as it was in this day that it was written. Who will open the door? Who says, God, I'm not satisfied? I, I said here in prayer, and I promise I'm closing. I'm two minutes. Two minutes. In fact, Priscilla, if you want to come. <laughs> But this morning when I was praying and I was thinking over this section right here, I was sitting there saying, God, me, I am never satisfied. 
Never. Never. I want you more. I need you more. I got to have you more. Every day. My whole life. Till the day you take me out of here. I need you more. I'll open that door. I'll open that door because I want you more. I need you more. I can't say, Lord, I will never say I'm satisfied because I'm not. I want more. And we know that in the hour we live in, God has so much more than we're letting him have. We're, we're so satisfied because of everything has been so good for so long and we're satisfied. And the Lord's saying, you don't see through the eyes. That's why I'm giving you a notice. Well, that's why I'm letting things get shook up so that you will see you need me more than ever before. You need to know, time is short. There's going to come a time I won't knock anymore. There's going to be a time when I won't knock anymore. But today, I'm still knocking. Today, I'm still drawing. The question is, will we open that could you this morning stand and bow your heads? Lord, we come before you, God, today. Lord, I want to say it again. I say with a resounding no, Lord, I'm not satisfied. God, I want to open the door completely wide that says, Lord, I want you to take the door off the hinges. Lord, I don't even want there to be a door that could be closed between you and I. Lord, because every good thing that's ever happened in my life, it's because of you and your blessings. It's because of the fellowship that I have with you. Lord, there's nothing that's going to have meaning in anything in my life when I step through eternity, but when you are involved and when you have your way in my life. And God, I know that you see things that I can't see. God, I pray in the hour that we live in that you open up blinded eyes that people can see. That spiritual eyes give us the eye salve that you promised, Lord, that we can see with spiritual eyes. Not physical eyes, Lord, but spiritual eyes that we can see the wretchedness of our hearts, Lord. That we become content. And because we look at other people and we say we're doing better than someone else, that's not how we judge it, Lord. It's how you see us. It's, Lord, you're the judge. You're the one that's speaking to us and you're the very one that we're going to stand in front of one day and you're going to judge us, Lord. And if you counsel us that we need to seek you, then God, we need to seek you. God, don't let us, God, be blinded because every single one of us stands before you one day. And God, I want to say, Lord, I had nothing between you and I, but Lord, an open door for you to have your way. And God, I pray that you would speak, Lord, whether here or even online. God, you would speak to hearts and lives. You would accomplish what you want to do because you have a purpose, God. You don't just talk for no reason. You have a purpose you want to accomplish. And God, I pray that you would do that today, right now. In Jesus' name. If you'd keep your head bowed this morning. No one looking around. I just need to ask this question. I, I want to I be faithful to do it. There could be someone here today and you say, I don't even know him. I know I'm not living right for him. I, I'm, I'm the person you said that was cold. And, and I know I don't know him. And would you pray for me this morning that I would give my life to this Savior who loves me so much? Would you just pray? I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to know who to pray for. And, and I want to know that God is moving in your life. And just raise your hand and put it back down. Say, pray for me. That's me this morning. I need God to move. I want him to move in my life. I feel him tugging at my heart. I hear him knocking at my door this morning. Is that anyone in this service this morning. I need you, Lord. I need you. Hallelujah. God, you see the hearts, Lord. 
I pray that you would work in hearts. You would move in hearts. That, God, we would be transformed because of it. This morning, you may be here this morning, and no one else is looking around but me. And, and I want you to say, I want you to be honest this morning. That's the first step of God being able to move. It is the people that's willing to say, God, that's me. Lord, I need you. I need to be more fervent for you. And you may say, Lord, I don't want to be lukewarm. I feel like maybe I'm a little lukewarm. And, God, I want to be fervent for you. And here I am, Lord. The door is wide open. You move in my life today. And you want to raise your hand and say, Pray for me because I want God to have every part of me. Every part of me. Everything in this life. Yes, I see that. Anyone else this morning, you're willing to be honest. The Lord is in this house. Yes, I see that you want to, the Lord's in the house. And is He drawing your heart? If He is, then say, here I am. Lord, you can have your way in my life. Almighty God, deal, Lord. God, deal right now by your mighty presence. God, Lord, I know that even in my life I can say, Lord, here I am, Lord. Make me more warm and hot for you, God. Make me fervent in your presence and spirit. God, let us not get so, Lord, satisfied that, Lord, we don't even see what you see. Almighty God, I pray that you would have your way. Lord, if there's someone online, that God, they would call out on you right now. Lord, even as we off this, open this altar, that they would say, here I am, Lord, forgive me. Lord, I want you to come into my heart. I know you're knocking at this door, and I open the door. And, and Lord, you promised you'd come in. If they would confess their sin, you would save them and forgive them and give them a brand new life. God, I pray we get testimonies of that this morning, Almighty God. And I pray that you would have your way, Lord, in this service this morning. This morning, this altar is open. Don't walk away. If God stirs and God draws, don't close the door and say, I'm okay. Don't say that. Many times I've had to go to the altar and stand in the altar or kneel in an altar to say, God, you've been working in my heart. Here I am. I need you. I want you. And God just floods in and worse and just does a work in my life like never before. This altar is open. And if you're willing today to say, Lord, here I am. I need you. I need more of you. Stir me. Make me fervent for you. Don't let me be lukewarm. If that's you, if you'll come and find a place in an altar this morning and stand there and just call out on God. We're not going to bash you, but we want you to have an opportunity this morning to touch God and let Him touch you.